you have a, a copy of God's Word with you, I would invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and our brief thought for this evening is thanksgiving for triune salvation. In other words, thanksgiving for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their work in our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll be reading the first 10 verses. This is the very word of God. Let's hear it with thanksgiving and with care. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we come before you this evening thanking you, acknowledging that Salvation is of the Lord, that from beginning to end, it is your work. But we thank you that we stand today as undeserved recipients of your glorious grace, that we have been giving, given nothing less than Christ himself and his Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would cultivate in our hearts this night thanksgiving to you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we pray that you might have the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of us, if we know ourselves, are, are aware of how hard it is for us to maintain a spirit of thanksgiving. It's so easy for us to romanticize certain Bible verses. Uh, we, we read how we are commanded to pray without ceasing and, and give thanks in all things. And yet when we really think about that, we realize what a challenge that is for us. We are prone to ingratitude. We are prone to forget all the great blessings of the Lord. And... I've mentioned this to you before, one of the, the first 
Hebrew vocabulary words that I learned in seminary was the Hebrew word for remember. Because it appears so much in the Bible. God is constantly calling us to remember His mighty deeds, His mighty works of salvation for us. Because we are prone to forget. And so this evening, I want us to simply think and to meditate upon the great work of our triune God in saving us. To think about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all intimately involved in our salvation, our sanctification, and our glorification. And perhaps that's why the Lord commands us to gather together the first day of every week. He knows how prone we are to forget, how prone we are to ingratitude, and He knows that we need to hear the glorious gospel of His grace every week. And so let's, let's think about the work of the Trinity in our salvation, and it seems like every time I have some kind of illustration of participation for, for kids, there's hardly any kids here, and here we are again tonight. I was, was going to cite the children's catechism where there's the question, is there more than one true God? And the answer is no. My daughter's very good at saying that. No, there is one. There's only one true God. And the, the, the subsequent questions outline that this one God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of them, each of them in love, work for our salvation. And so let's begin by thinking about the Father's role in our salvation. And we see from the Scriptures, and it came out in our reading, we see that we should give thanks for the loving, eternal election of the Father. That the Father eternally elected some to everlasting life. And I think too often the, that term election has a negative connotation. When we, we think of election, we should think of the Father's love for us. God's election is His choosing for Himself a people to be saved. For example, in, in Titus chapter 1, we learn when, when the Father chose to give eternal life to His people. We read, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. God promised eternal life to you. If you are in Christ today, He promised eternal life to you before time began. We read the same thing in Ephesians 1. We read how the Father lovingly assigned salvation to His chosen people. Paul said, just as He chose us, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, 
having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And all of that fulfilled what the Lord said in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31.3, when the Lord said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's something to be thankful for and amazed at. That the Father set His love upon us from eternity past. Before the foundation of the world, before time began, He loved us with an everlasting love. And when He did that, He he not only chose a people for Himself, but He was choosing a bride for His Son. And in Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to say that this truth of God's sovereign electing love, that 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 should leave no room for boasting. Because we have done nothing to earn that love. The Father chose us not because He saw something special in us. Not because we were more valuable than the next person. But He chose us in love according to the pleasure of His will. He has loved you with an everlasting love. There's a question that's often asked, how do you know that God will not stop loving you? It's because He never started loving you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. But that eternal plan that took place sometime in the councils of eternity had to be carried out in history. And so because God so loved the world, He sent His only Son. And so let's think next about the work of the Son and the atoning historical work of Jesus And how in Jesus' life and ministry, we really see salvation accomplished in history. In John 1.14, John says of Christ that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God was born at a specific point in history. He took on flesh. The eternal Son of God was born into this world as the God-man. And that too, it's something we, we talk about so often that maybe we fail to pause and to ponder what a wonderful and glorious thing is that the Lord Jesus, eternal God who knew nothing but the glories of heaven and the glories of fellowship with the Father and the Spirit willingly laid that joy aside to take on flesh as one of us. He was born as a man in history. The Bible underlines that for us, that Jesus was indeed a real person. Jesus of Nazareth. We're given many historical markers in his life, the the time, the place of his birth. 
We read about how a decree went out from Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was governor of Syria. These were real people who lived at a certain point in history. And we know that the climax of his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven took place in a real city called Jerusalem. To accomplish salvation, Jesus had to come to earth as a man and live a perfect life in the place of those his father chose and to give himself as a sacrifice for the sins of those his father chose. The Son of God became obedient to death on a cross, submitting himself to the punishment for our sins, only to rise in victory from the grave. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we should give thanks for the Father's eternal electing love, for the Son's atoning work in history, but also for the applying and the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit. How does the the loving election of the Father and the redeeming work of the Son, how does that become a reality for us? How is it made personal to us? Our catechism says this, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in our salvation is that of application and sustaining. We could think about it this way in, in our household with where kids ride their bikes and run around. Uh, we have, uh, uh, I forget what the brand name is, but it's the triple antibiotic ointment. Um, I think we have one of those in each room of our house. Um, I see Nate Beers looking at his boys. If you cut yourself, you can go to the store and buy some of that triple antibiotic ointment. But if you don't apply that ointment to your skin, it will be of no use to you. You made the plan to go to the store and buy the ointment. You went and you accomplished the plan by buying the ointment. But if you don't apply it, it does nothing. It will be of no benefit to you. And the same goes for our salvation. There must be a real and effectual application of it to us. Now, people often wonder, why can't we, why do we have to be so weird? Why can't we just say effective? It's because there's an important distinction. A hammer, for example, is an effective tool. But a hammer's got no power in and of itself. You have to pick the hammer up and use it for it to be uh, effective. 
But if something is effectual, that means it has the power in itself. The power resides in that thing, and that is the case with the Holy Spirit. The, the applying work of the Holy Spirit has the power to do what it's set out to do. We often talk about effectual calling. In other words, when the Spirit calls to a lost sinner, that call has power in it to bring that sinner to Jesus Christ. And in Titus chapter 3, we, we hear of the Holy Spirit's work of application. In Titus 3, verses 5 and 6, referring to the Father, Paul says, God our Savior, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that is how salvation is applied to us. And not only that, the Spirit continues to sustain us in our walk of faith, to ensure that no one will snatch us from the Father's hand. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He will ensure that we will endure to the end. And so our salvation is a triune salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were and are all intimately involved in redeeming us. And when we meditate upon the work of our triune God for us, His work of salvation, we cannot help on His salvation given to undeserving people like us. Pray that we may be prompted to gratitude, and to praise and worship to the God of our salvation. Lord, we do pray that as we prepare to gather around tables tomorrow, we pray that you would cause our hearts to well up with thanksgiving to you for all that you have done for us. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for setting your love upon us from eternity, for loving us with an everlasting love. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you that he willingly, with a heart of love, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for applying to us that great atoning work of Jesus and for sustaining us all the days of our life. Salvation is of the Lord. We give you all of the praise, all of the glory. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.